Thanks for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. And just to update you, thanks in large part to many of you, uh, we've been able to purchase a new home in central Missoula. And there's a lot of work ahead of us when it comes to making another warehouse our church home. And you can continue to contribute to remodel and renovation funds at achurchbuilding.com. But we just want to express to you how grateful we are for your support. And we hope that this resource you're about to listen to will be a blessing for you as well. Would you just join me in prayer one more time for the preaching of God's word? Father God, we thank you today for all of the ways that you've been kind to us and for everything that it took in our lives to bring us to this moment today. Lord, we ask that our minds and hearts would be open and attentive to the wisdom that only your word and your spirit can bring to us. And may we wonder afresh and anew at the way that you perfectly loved us in Christ according to your sovereign will. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. When we talk about God's sovereignty, the idea that God is the supreme authority over everything and that he's ultimately in control we can be tempted to bristle against it. It's a human thing. (laughs) It's part of our DNA. I mean, having a rebellious heart against authority begins in Genesis 3, and it continues through to today. Can anyone, even God, be trusted with this power? And no wonder we bristle against it. The examples that we have of sovereign will in media, they don't paint a very good picture for us. We think of things like The Truman Show or The Matrix. These are stories where there are are characters who they go through life unaware that every moment is being controlled. Every event is being manicured. It's being interfered with by an outside force, an architect or a director. And predictably, stories like this always end the same way. Uh, The hero discovers the controlling force He successfully rebels against it and moves on to a life that is finally free and autonomous, exiting a false reality and entering, come what may, into real reality. But our life is not the Truman Show. It's not the Matrix. This is real life, and it's not a movie. And God's sovereignty isn't something oppressive to be overcome, as though there was a real reality outside of him. God himself defines reality, and it's a good thing that he does, because God is infinitely wise, gracious, and faithful. As the Apostle Paul states in Acts 17, verse 28, in him we live and move and have our being. This life, your life, it's all from God, and through him, and for him. And so to turn into the plans and the ways of God, is to step into real reality. And to turn away from him isn't an escape from oppression and control. It's actually a surrender to the oppressive control of sin. To turn towards God's ways over and above our own with humility and commitment, it will take effort. This is active, it's not passive. It will take work to actively hold our lives and our comfort and our aspirations loosely in our hands so that we might join hands with God in building his kingdom 
in this light, we need to redefine success and failure. Do you guys know what FOMO is? <laughs> it stands for fear of missing out. And everyone wrestles with it. The work of following Christ will require turning FOMO on its head. Turning our hearts towards God's ways will mean that we don't fear missing out on worldly pleasure or experiences or the praise of our peers. Instead, we'll fear missing out on a life that pleases and honors God. Lived out in relationship with him, fully known, understood, and loved by him. And God knows that for our rebellious hearts to turn to him, we'll need his help. And he does help. This is the gospel. That God takes our dead hearts and makes us alive through faith in Christ. Waking us up from our sleep and unplugging us from the matrix of sin that we've been falsely living in. So that we might see the truth and live lives of worship in response to his great love for us. A love he demonstrated most clearly in Jesus, who died in our place so that our sins might be forgiven. And so this is our big idea for today and the points that we'll be looking at in this message. And it's that we can trust in the sovereign will of God because of his steadfast love and faithfulness. And as we go through this passage, we'll see three things. We'll see that we may plan, but God will establish Sin does not change God's plans. And that God's love changes our plans. So our first point today, we may plan, but God will establish. Now in the first three verses of our passage today, there are three different ways of speaking about the same subject. Maybe you noticed it. And the subject is this, our lives or more specifically, our lives in relationship to a sovereign God. Verse one, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. So in just three verses, Proverbs wraps up our hopes, our deeds, and our work. Or said another way, our inner desires and goals, our actions and the way we live, and where we should direct our labor. And these verses account for all of our internal and external lives. In all three areas, we're reminded that while we may plan and hope and work and do, that God is the Lord over it all. And weighed by God, our ways are right or they are wrong. What comes to pass is his will. What does not come to pass was not his will. And if you're anything like me, this is provoking a response. <laughs> Maybe that bristling feeling that I talked about earlier. Maybe you find comfort in the fact that God is in control, but you resent the idea that God's control might affect your plans. How do we respond to God when his plans are drastically different than our hopes. We need to humble ourselves before him. And like it says in Romans 12, 3, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. What we endeavor to talk about today is humbling. But as Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we cannot worship God without humble hearts. As the past year has shown all of us, we don't know what's ahead of us. Who could have planned for this? And it's not as though our plans need to be held a little looser. The correct posture we should adopt is open-handed. Are there areas in your life or in your plans that you have made that are closed off to God? Today, God wants us to see that he has better plans for us, a better way for us, and work to do now that will remain forever. Without God's sovereign will being worked in our own hearts, we'd be content to build sandcastles instead of kingdoms. And Jesus has spoken about building on sand before. In Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, building on sand is a lot easier than building on a rock, but the results don't last. You could spend a day or a lifetime on a sandcastle, but when the rain comes or the tides roll in, what will be left? If you want your hopes fulfilled, then your hope must be in God. The God who knows you in all of your ways, but who doesn't turn away. Instead, in Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Without this necessary heart transplant, we'd be blind to our sin. And like it says, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. Even the evil man, even the sinful man, even the abusive man. But the Lord weighs the spirit. And he's the only one with weights that work. God knows us better than we know ourselves. The span of our life, it's laid bare before him. And without his intervention in our personal universes, without the answer of his tongue as to about where and when and how far and how long, the lives of everyone in this room would be a ruin of self-gratification and self-exaltation. A life lived only in pursuit of desires and passions for us to consume that would eventually consume us. There are greater pursuits that God has in store for us. Proverbs 16, verse three, says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Among the three verses that we've looked at so far, this is the only time that we're told to do something. We're told to commit. We're told to commit our work, uh, our efforts and our labors to the Lord. Again, not passive, It's active, because when somebody commits a crime, it means they've done it. (laughs) When you're committed to someone in marriage, you are married. A threshold is crossed, and everything is different. That's what a commitment is. 
And so committing our work to the Lord will often take us places that we couldn't have dreamed of, both difficult and good. God's way is often not how we imagined things working out. Think about the shock of the disciples uh, and what they experienced seeing Jesus crucified. They thought that Christ had come to overthrow Rome. They didn't think he had come to overthrow sin and death and that it would cost him his life. God's plan was so much different than theirs. A disappointment to them at first and then infinitely better than all that they could have asked for or imagined. Committing your work to the Lord will mean laying down your plans and humbling yourself enough to imagine that God's plans are better than yours, that kingdoms are better than sandcastles. Committing to God's plan is a work of believing. We commit when we believe that God's plans are better. And as much as it is possible, we should seek to be in step with God's plans, seeking his will, obeying his commands, pursuing holiness, humbling ourselves so that we might follow his lead so that our plans and our work might establish his kingdom and exalt him as Lord. So we don't just do good deeds. We plan for them. We plan differently about our finances, about our time, about the configuration of our living rooms. As Tyler talked to us uh, last week, we devise and we scheme for the sake of good. But we will not always do this well. God knows this. Thanks be to God that my sinful heart is not gonna stand in the way of his good plans. And when my plans conflict with his, he'll win. His plans will be established That's what's sure. What is not sure is whether or not we were faithful to humble ourselves, to hold our lives and our plans loose enough so that we would be a part of God's mighty works. How many times have we formed our plans and purposes only to have them changed? And yet as we think about how things have turned out, we can recognize that it was by God's grace that he led us in a different direction to a better and to a more fruitful outcome to follow God and honor him. We work towards a growing commitment in our hearts. We go to church and we help one another follow Christ in discipleship. We stir one another up to love and good works. We're faithful to make plans, even some that go off into the next 50 years. And for those who trust in Jesus, even when we fail, we can trust that God's plans will stand firm forever. We may plan, And we should. (laughs) But it's God who will establish. His kingdom will come. And there will be those who commit to build it. But there will also be those who stand against it. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. But wait on God's scales of perfection. It's obvious that not of all man's ways are pure. And this brings us to our second point for today. And that is that sin does not change God's plans. We'll pick up in our passage of verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. We've talked a lot about the necessity of a humble heart when it comes to believing and trusting 
in a God who is sovereign over everything. And in verse four and five, we encounter the opposite posture, an arrogant and a wicked heart. And before you think that the Bible is only speaking a warning to someone out there somewhere, I want to call our our attention to a few passages of Scripture. Like Romans 3, 10 to 12, it says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Later in verse 32, the Apostle Paul continues and says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. 1 John 1, 8 and 10, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And if we, have, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. So who were the wicked and the arrogant destined for a day of trouble? It was all of us. And may the truth of these passages we've just read bring humble reflection to our own hearts. And may they also give us compassion for the lost who are living lives that are pure in their own eyes, and yet they are far from God. We are born in sin, and our desires, our hearts, they're shaped by sin. And while the danger is real for us and our plans, it never stands in God's way. It will not frustrate his plans. He will use it all. In fact, in our passage, we see that nothing is outside of God's control, even sin, even sinners, Verse four, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Sin will be punished. The plans of the wicked will be judged and God's purposes will prevail. And so when we see injustice and wickedness and evil in the world, we need not ever wonder, where is God? Let me back up. Where is God? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever looked at the evil in the world and wished that today, today would be the day that Jesus uh, comes back in all of his glory and judges the sins of the world? We could be done with this. Where is God? Until he returns, he's being merciful to others in the same way that he's been merciful to us. His ways are truly higher and truly better than ours. We never need to worry about where God is. He's the Lord over it all. And though it can be difficult to understand at times, we can remember the words of Joseph as he spoke to his would-be murderous brothers in Genesis 50:20. He says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Romans 8.28 says it this way. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And though at times it may seem that evil wins the day, behind it all are God's good plans, just yet merciful and never frustrated. 
And one of the most amazing places that we see this is in the book of Acts. Acts 4, 24 to 28. It says, they, the believers, lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who though who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So in this instance, not only were God's great plans not frustrated by sin, but God used the sinful actions of men to accomplish his will, bringing about our salvation through Jesus' sacrifice. Verse four, the Lord has made everything for its purpose even the wicked for the day of trouble, and everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. For God's perfect justice to be satisfied, our sin has demanded a day of trouble. That a day of trouble would be stored up for us. But God in his love and in his mercy looked upon us and had compassion on us, and sent his son Jesus, Jesus perfect and sinless, willingly gave his life as a final sacrifice for sin, experiencing the day of trouble that we deserved, so that we might not. And according to God's plans, all sin will be judged, but people will either be judged according to their wicked and arrogant hearts, or they'll be judged according to Christ's righteousness given through faith. If you've ever wondered how God feels about you, look to Jesus and see his love for you. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus didn't die in our place because of our great love for him as though we could have earned it. He loved us first and our response to that love Faith and belief. It brings the salvation of our souls. And the change we desperately needed to make, this is a change that God initiates. And in our final point today, we see that God's love changes our plans. So let's finish our text for today. Proverbs 16, verse 6 through 9. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Steadfast love and faithfulness. If you've read your Bible, maybe you're a part of the church's reading plan this year, you've heard this phrase before. That's because on Mount Sinai, Moses is with the Lord and makes a request. In Exodus 33:18, 18, 
He says, uh, Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And in the next chapter, we see what it means uh, to God that he would show Moses his glory. In Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It was God's steadfast love and faithfulness that led Moses and the Israelites through the desert until they arrived at the promised land. It was God's steadfast love and his faithfulness that mercifully provided for the atonement of sin through temple sacrifices. God's steadfast love and faithfulness preserved a remnant of believers through generations of trial and war and unfaithfulness and exile. And in Jesus Christ, we see God's steadfast love and faithfulness in the flesh. Moses asked God to show him his glory. And in Jesus Christ, we've seen it. As Hebrews 1.3 says, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. And when our eyes are open to this, our lives begin to change. Proverbs 6 says that by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Again, this is language that we've heard before. It sounds familiar. And at the start of the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 1.7, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Pastor Tyler has said before that the book of Proverbs gives us a wisdom in advance. It's been a really helpful thought for me as we've been going through this. But it's also wisdom from the outside in because we could have never dreamed of a God like this. Psalm 14.1 says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And once we were all fools. In and of ourselves, we would not know right from wrong or good from evil. In our flesh, we're so stained by sin that we might even call evil good and good evil. It's by the fear of the Lord that one turns away from evil. God is, in his sovereign majesty, is awesome, perfect in all of his ways, pure and holy, just and righteous and supremely good. Do you think about him that way? In all of his perfection. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and with a heart changed by faith in Christ, we begin to see God as he is and tremble. <laughs> And when we do, we're exposed. When we see God rightly, we see ourselves rightly, and it is devastating. But this is the wound that heals us. By his steadfast love and faithfulness, through Jesus, God changes our plans and sets us on a new path. Godly sorrow over sin brings repentance, and the fruit of repentance is peace with God and peace with others. God in his mercy gives us the wisdom from the outside in that we needed and produces a change from the inside out. In our passage today, it finishes with two examples of this change. 
And these are things that we can judge our own hearts and lives by. Examples that help us determine whether or not we're turning into the stream of God's sovereign will. And the two examples are this. Because we have peace with God through Christ, we can be at peace with others. And because our treasure is in Christ, we can refuse to sin against others for personal gain. Verse 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, if you're like me, when you uh, read Bible passages that talk about your enemies, it can kind of seem melodramatic. Uh, Like, I'm not out there fighting people with a sword and vanquishing my foes. Um, My neighbor, Jim, might be wondering when I'm going to fix my fence, but he's not my enemy. Uh, Jim, if you're watching, I'm working on it. (laughs) Maybe you don't have enemies, right? But Christ does. And saying that some actions or behaviors are sinful, that's not always going to win you friends. (laughs) As you grow closer in your relationship to the Lord, your life is going to stand in contrast to others. And the fearsome goodness of God will shine through you. And God's enemies may become enemies of you. But... Verse 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Though people in this world may be opposed to what you think or believe, your actions shaped by the gospel can still remain winsome and kind. There's a way to live that God is calling us to that is radically different than the defensive posture that our flesh tempts us to pursue. And Jesus himself calls us into this way in Matthew 5, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In the gospel, God has called us to love our enemies, those who are against us. And he's done this because we were once his enemies. And in this, we can reflect his love to the world. So maybe you're not like me. And you feel as though you do have enemies. Even so, take Jesus' words to heart. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let's make this practical for a second. What would it mean for you to love your enemies on social media? If someone only knew you through your posts and through your tweets, would they know more about what you were for? what you are against. Lives changed by the gospel should desire to see other lives changed by the gospel. And it would be wise for us to remember that what captivated our hearts when Christ saved us is that the grace that we receive, it's the grace that we received when we deserved it the least. That's what captured our hearts. And the final example that we're given shows us that Because our treasure is in Christ, we can refuse to sin against others for personal gain. Proverbs 16, verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. And Christ himself is our righteousness. At the cross, he took all the punishment that we should have received for our sin, and we received all of his righteousness. And the faith that we have in Jesus is our most valuable possession. 
And if we really believe this, it means that all other possessions become less valuable. We can loosen our grip. This short proverb is a little more pointed than just a call to live generously. It brings in how our wealth can be tied to justice, or rather, injustice. And now last week we spoke a lot about justice, so I don't feel the need to expand much more. If you're curious, you can check that out. All of our sermons are online. But loosening our grip and letting go of being ultimately in control uh, of the plans of our life uh, is a good thing to do so that we might be open to the sovereign plans of God. And that can mean that we also hold on to comforts and material possessions and status symbols more loosely. We can now become generous in just ways because of the way that God has loved us in the gospel. It means that we stay away from the shady business deal or from making the sale that takes advantage of someone. It can mean that we even think about the ethical impact on the communities that produce the goods that we consume. Seeking to do justice with our finances will change what we invest in. And when we treasure Christ above everything, we realize that success is not about dying with the most stuff. It's about what Jesus called the greatest commandment. Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now Jesus perfectly fulfilled these commandments. And he calls us to follow him into his beautiful plan of redemption. So the steadfast love and faithfulness of God revealed Jesus Christ has taken away our sin. He's awakened our hearts to see reality as it truly is. Maybe today that you've realized that you've been fighting against God's plans. And you're holding on to an idea of what you want your life to be like. And you're holding on to it so tightly that you found yourself sinning to get what you want. Maybe today you've seen the beauty of the gospel. And in contrast, you've seen something ugly in your plans. Or your deeds. Or your behavior. Make a change today. Cross the threshold and commit your plans to the Lord. The only thing you have to lose is everything. (laughs) Everything that hasn't satisfied the longing of your heart yet. How can we trust in a sovereign God? We can trust in him because it's his sovereignty that brought about our salvation. God loved us enough to change our hearts and put us on a new path. And in response to his miraculous work, we can lay down our plans to join his can stop building sandcastles and be a part of building a kingdom on a sure foundation. Jesus himself encourages us to this end in Matthew 16, verse 24 to 25. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. When we walk with Jesus, we won't always know where our steps will take us. 
but we know that the God who does is always with us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for your salvation. We think about the limitless power that you have, the authority that you have. We're amazed that you would use it to remove our sin and restore us to you. And may your Holy Spirit help us hold on to our plans a little bit looser and turn into your beautiful ways. God, we need your help, even today. Lord, from whatever has been uh, uh, keeping us uh, held back from uh, surrendering our lives to you and to your plans and seeing them as better than our own, God, I pray that you would help us to identify those things. I pray that you would help us to, to break whatever uh, chains bind us from committing. Lord, in that we would turn to you and humbly ask you for help in it. Lord, I thank you for this day that you gave us to think about your word and think about who you are. God, I pray that uh, as we leave this place today and continue uh, to meditate on these scriptures, God, that our faith in you will only increase. Lord, and you do that work uh, of humbling our hearts before you so that we might see the goodness of your plans. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.